Good Sunday evening slash Monday morning to you all. I'm actually impressed with myself that I can even approximate what time it is at the moment since my day began on a Sunday morning that was over 24 hours ago. But I am back now from Japan. I was able to keep up watching some games on Synergy. So we are ready to go. And some news has piled up since Danny was kind enough to update us last time. If you haven't yet, by the way, listen to a couple of evergreen pods that we did last week. One is the all area teams that was really really fun to put together went through and did a 16 team tournament of seven game series for the 16 best areas in the united states uh, as much as we could determine that was fun and then we also redrafted the 2017 draft class that was uh, quite interesting as well still a lot of uncertainty there to be sure so now that i'm back uh, where should we start here news wise i think we should start in the pacific northwest with the forward only one franchise there yeah with the forward shortage in portland due to zach collins being out neil o'shea turned in a surprising some could say interesting direction with one carmelo anthony yeah, it's interesting. This is the second time that a jilted Anthony Pursuer has eventually landed him. Hopefully, this will not be a repeat of the situation in Houston. So, Anthony, we know what he brings to the table, right? Uh, some isolation scoring, some spot-up shooting. He did not shoot it as well as a spot-up player once he really moved into an off-ball role in OKC and then his limited time in Houston that we probably can't draw that much from. He could still maybe provide them with some ISO scoring. Rebounding has been a problem for them. Uh, Carmelo uh, has been a decent rebounder at times in his career. Again, given his age, hard to say where he's going to be at from an athleticism standpoint. But Portland could maybe use one more guy who can create. I mean, that that ISO game is something that they haven't had. I don't think it'd be the end of the world to actually let him go to work a little bit uh, on second units and to provide some kind of spot-up shooting and size at the power forward position uh, that they desperately needed. Now, one concern that I have is that Nasir Little, I mean, he hasn't scored well, but he at least has provided some energy and starts at that position the last two games. So hopefully he's not going to just get completely eliminated here unless he just continues to struggle in an unsustainably bad way from three defensively though obviously uh he ain't gonna cure what ails him exactly and and that's why i'm very low on this signing Melo has already turned 35 and wasn't a good defender in his physical prime and now especially if he's playing the four next to Hassan Whiteside mobility is a big big problem and then I mean so you look at what Portland this year so they're currently as we're recording this they're 18th in defense they are fourth from the bottom in forcing turnovers definitely not a Carmelo Anthony strength they are dead last in opponent free throw attempt rate I don't think Bell is going to help that at all especially because he doesn't provide any rim protection maybe he does that kind of reverse thing if they foul less just because he doesn't do anything and then maybe he helps a little bit on the defensive glass just because they've been playing so small and so he's bigger than let's say Rodney Hood and then they've been pretty solid in opponent effective field goal percentage I'm a little bit skeptical of that number personally so I mean Portland I think their offense is just going to be better than than they've been so far and there could be times when having him out there is helpful but those times are not you know taking possessions away from Damian Lillard who has been fantastic this year it's going to be more sustaining that second unit and my concern with Mello is that I mean th- this goes back to something you and I have talked about before which is what he is best at is something that players often overrate and so I think sometimes coaches can get into that too of like oh he could get a basket one-on-one even though he doesn't do it super efficiently and I think that there is a potential role for Carmelo both with the the Blazers specifically and in the NBA in the abstract. The problem is that when you extend him beyond that role, the negatives start to outweigh the positives pretty quickly. And I can see Portland, not because Terry Stotts is a bad tactician or a bad coach, getting sucked into that a little bit. And then it starts taking away in areas that are really problematic. Now, I think it's even money that he can be better than what Nasir Little and Mario Hazonia were giving them. You know, like that's, I mean, that's all that you're asking for at this point. Now, he is a little bit different of a player. There are some issues with him potentially needing the ball, but certainly you'd think that his uh, exile this last calendar year uh, has humbled him in that respect. And certainly their bench units uh, have had some problems. They are in the positive with Dame and CJ on the floor. And way way in the negative when you look at some of these net ratings you know Tolliver is another guy that he's got to be better than has not been able to hit a shot does nothing inside the arc a negative 12 net rating for him so it's 
he doesn't have to be that much better because the guys that he's replacing aren't any good also i think his defensive limitations the stat system should be able to help to the extent uh, that you possibly can I may mean, expect there to be a lot of one four pick and rolls uh, going at him but the system does at least leave Hassan Whiteside back there uh, behind him and, and i mean i was surprised that you noted uh, where they are in defense uh, to actually be above 20 with this personnel that they've had available is pretty impressive let's turn to golden state where d'angelo russell is out to weeks with a sprained thumb they lost tonight in new orleans who has their own injury issues uh, which we'll get to momentarily russell uh, had some massive games 52 points uh, in an overtime loss to the wolves in particular he'd been getting all he could eat in pick and roll but we'll have to wait at least a couple of weeks with that sprain right thumb to see whether he can continue uh, that offensive onslaught and then in new orleans uh, their foils today a ton of wounded there as well yeah and the place to actually start there is with one that i talked about during the new segments when you were gone which is lonzo ball he has now missed five straight games at first it was a cramp issue then it became the adductor he came back and he re-injured it i i think it was always the adductor and they said they it was cramps. cramps that could that could very well be true. I, I, it may have and it may have been both but they sure it, it, well and then to have the adductor injury come back and then have to re-injure it and then miss way more time I and mean, that's that's always just a terrible cycle when you see that sequence of events right and so well we don't i don't know if i haven't seen any specific timeline on him yet they've also had dealing with issues on in the front court Derek favors and jaleel okafor both missed the game against the warriors jackson hayes started they did win frank jackson didn't play due to left uh, neck contusion josh hart didn't play due to issues with his right knee and ankle he and and he was ruled out really quickly for this one which is always a big concern and then ingram he was he has missed a couple games due to knee soreness which is concerning because he went from probable to questionable to out really really fast and then now hasn't played since then yeah those over the weekend against miami i do have to protest though with frank jackson is a left neck contusion so fortunately his right neck which presumably supports his right head uh <laughs> appears to be okay um favors also a concern i mean lower back soreness that plagued him in utah knee soreness which he missed time with that plagued him in utah they hired aaron nelson that was supposed to help with some of these issues and maybe i don't want to say the game is like past nelson by or something but the the hope was that they wouldn't uh, be so wounded and obviously uh, they are so but favors me i think part of why he's available utah did a lot of work to get him to where he could play the number of games that he played the last few years uh, and uh, that's been a struggle for the knicks uh, you talked about this uh, a little bit supposedly scott perry and steve mills came away from a conversation last week with james dolan that their jobs would remain secure provided they showed progress this season uh but then Woj went on espn and said that the firing of david fisdale is inevitable the knicks are not on the Woj team by the way and so Woj uh he usually takes the gloves off for for those teams and he's doing that a little bit in this situation right and and as i discussed i i think really what this is all about is finding a scapegoat and especially if mills and perry tried to convey to dolan that the team was actually going to be competitive this year then the choice is either bad luck bad coaching or bad general personnel and when you're the personnel people you want to try the other two and luck is a really bad thing to argue so that's why they're going with coaching here and dolan shouldn't believe that but he very well might because james dolan isn't good at owning an nba team on a completely unrelated note, uh, John Hollinger and I finished up our rankings of uh, the 30 NBA organizations uh, today, so uh, listen to that. Alfred Payton also remains out with the hamstring. They didn't really give any kind of a timetable for him, but it apparently was a significant injury. He's missed uh, basically like three weeks now or so, and still no word on him ramping up his activity. Dennis Smith is back after the tragic death of his stepmother and had, had one good game and then uh, managed to get five fouls in six minutes. In its next game. Um, quickly, in Oklahoma City, still nothing on Andre Robertson, which uh, remember, it's now been coming up on two years january of 2018 when he tore that patellar tendon and had subsequent procedures so not good to hear uh, that he really just uh, doesn't seem to be making much progress uh, in terms of getting back there was hope that he would be available to start the season Another chronic injury case in Sacramento, Harry Giles actually was able to debut a couple of weeks ago. Recall that his fourth-year option was declined by the Kings, but he's kind of been at the back end uh, of their rotation. Uh, Dwayne 
Deadman has been questionable uh, with the knee issues uh, over the last couple of games that he has been playing. And uh, James Ham's reporting that Marvin Bagley is probably a couple weeks away. So it's been about three weeks since uh, that thumb diagnosis came down. Actually, it might be closer to four now. Um, and he was given a four to six week timetable. Looks like we're going to be closer to the end of that timetable. Let's jump to Atlanta. Kevin Herter has a strained left rotator cuff. Unlike next, you do have different rotator cuffs. And he will be reevaluated in two weeks. They did get Alan Crabb back. And I mean, they're still dealing, of course, with, with John Collins being out. So, I mean, the question of when we're going to see the full strength Hawks is still, the answer is probably still a while, maybe pat, pat, well past Christmas. So that's unfortunate. And the Hawks have had, certainly had their moments. Trey went absolutely crazy in a game a couple days ago, but we're not going to see that all the way. And Kyrie Irving is dealing with a shoulder impingement on his right shoulder. He missed the game that Brooklyn won over Chicago, and he is questionable for Brooklyn's game on Monday. Yeah, another in a series of extremely disappointing losses early on for Chicago. For Houston, Eric Gordon had that knee surgery, uh, which you talked about. And the good news is maybe that provides an explanation for why he had struggled so terribly, especially to get to the basket, which we had marveled at how good he had been doing that in a Houston uniform. Remember, of course, that Gordon signed an extension prior to the season. But the bad news is he's had a, a history of knee trouble and he's uh, this is age 31 season. So they desperately, desperately need him to come back, even though they are playing so much better now. And James Harden is doing his floor raising thing uh, again, really uh, just absolutely spectacular work for him. They are supposed to get Daniel House and Clint Capella back on Monday. They won with basically everyone out uh, against Minnesota over the weekend. Indiana, Malcolm Brogdon uh, had to leave Friday's game against Houston with back spasms, missed uh, his showdown with his old Bucks teammates on Saturday, and will also miss the game on Monday against Brooklyn. TJ McConnell missed the game versus the Bucks with a groin issue, so Aaron Holiday has been getting more ticked there. He's questionable uh, for their game uh, on Monday against Brooklyn, and Jeremy Lamb hasn't played since November 5th. He has also been questionable. Now the Pacers have had the easiest schedule in the league by far, but they brought in a lot of depth, uh, and that has paid off given the injury issues that they have suffered from so far this year. Shabazz Napier is going to miss his eighth straight game with a right hamstring issue on Monday. Guard depth has been something we, we've fixated on a little bit at times with Minnesota this year. And un- unfortunately, Andrew Wiggins' grandmother passed, so he has missed a couple games. And now he is sick and is, is doubtful for Monday's game due to that, as opposed to the passing of his grandmother. Yeah, the Wiggins renaissance is the biggest thing that happened while I was on the road and looking forward to getting into that at some point soon here. For Miami, Justice Winslow is in the concussion protocol, and Derek Jones Jr. has been dealing with hip slash groin issues. Uh, once again, another one where he came back and uh, has suffered. I'm not sure whether the hip is related to the groin. Usually, it, it, that ends up being the case. For the Lakers, uh, Rayshon Rondo returned last week. He's played a couple of games. He sat out one game against Atlanta for load management. His numbers have been in the teens in terms of minutes. Hasn't done much yet on the, the stat sheet. And Avery Bradley, this is another one where a guy was suffering initially from what was considered a knee contusion missed some time came back missed some time again and then on friday they announced that he has a hairline fracture in a non-weight-bearing bone of the right leg and that he will be reevaluated in one to two weeks and then we can finish the new segment with their staple center counterparts the clippers patrick beverly missed saturday's game against the hawks with a calf issue they had no trouble in that game which they also were out without Kawhi due to a knee contusion he's missed two straight because Paul George has gone absolutely crazy. 44 minutes, 70 points. He was huge in that that Hawks win, of course. He's very seems like he's very happy with the way his shoulders are feeling right now. And we I mean, it's always true that we're going to keep an eye on Kawhi, but missing time, always a concern. Not a concern is finding awesome NBA podcasts to listen to. I want to tell you about a, a new one uh, with one of my favorite NBA personalities, uh, Candace Parker. Ledlow and Parker. Great idea, by the way, to just name the podcasts with the last names of the two people involved. I, I really like that naming convention. So TNT's Kristen Ledlow and Candace Parker, they are in an all-new weekly podcast. 
I really enjoy Candace's work. I remember she had a great segment a couple of years ago where she demoed uh, the up and under step through move that you see in the women's game all the time. And she was talk- arguing with KG about whether it's a travel or not. No, actually, Candace is right. It's not a travel, uh, but every man should use that that move. Uh, so that's uh, some of the expertise uh, that she brings. Uh, I've always really enjoyed her coverage and Kristen Ludlow obviously is a very accomplished NBA voice in her own right. So they're going to share some of their personal stories, hit on the biggest storylines in and around the NBA, and talk to some of the biggest names in and around the NBA, and some of the most interesting voices impacting the sports and entertainment world as well. With Ludlow and Parker, you're allowed in on the conversations between one of the most plugged-in insiders and one of the most decorated athletes to ever play the game. Tune in to Ledlow and Parker because they see the game differently. New episodes are up on Tuesdays. Listen and subscribe to Ledlow and Parker wherever you get your podcasts all right we had an overwhelming number of submissions uh, on twitter some great questions to get to here where do you want to start i think uh our old friend josh lloyd i i, I, lo- I love the socratic method to just an- answer my own question i guess that's not even the socratic method that's uh, it isn't that's pretty far from that's, it that's, but that's okay that's the nate method <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, Josh's question hey, is... I, I, I'm a little delirious here, but yeah, get, get, I, cut me some slack. I will. Um, yeah, hey, yeah, I, yeah, I, I let's, did 15-minute monologues uh, while you were gone, so that can be... <laughs> I, I, I got my fill there. But but it is a really good question from Josh, and it could be one that we disagree on. Uh, so basically he asked, and you can follow him if you don't already, redrock underscore bball. With the level of talent in the NBA, how many teams could the league realistically afford to expand out to, or add, however you want to think about it, and maintain a high level of play? One thing I want to mention here is that while I am in favor of expansion, maintaining the level of play is an interesting way of phrasing it because it would get worse. I mean, when you just, you're separating out stars from each other, you're separating out rotation players, and whether it's through an expansion draft or however you want to make it, I mean, you're also muddying the draft waters, all that kind of stuff. So it does make, it does make the, the expected value of each team a little bit worse. But I am of the belief that, especially now with so many international players coming in and generally players maintaining a high level a little bit longer, that adding the number that's in my head is two. I don't have any math on this. I, I don't know if KP's done any recently. Two, maybe three teams would probably, you know, you would see an acceptable drop in play. That's the way that I would phrase it. It would be a drop to be sure, but do that. So I don't know. Let's say Seattle, Vancouver, and then if there's a third team, it could go any number of other places. And then I think that would be, a, I think it would be a good thing overall for the league, especially because the NBA is something uh, Ethan and I have talked about at various moments in time that it, there are markets that are untapped right now, which is kind of shocking for the NBA from a revenue perspective. Yeah, I would prefer a redistribution of teams rather than uh, adding any. Uh, and, you know, I think Vancouver, Seattle, I mean, those are the two most obvious markets. I don't see any other national or, or at least North American markets. I mean, maybe Mexico City would be another one. Um, also, I wouldn't mind just doing one more team. I don't know why you necessarily have to do two. Uh, yeah, the NBA know, doesn't have the- to be even. It's been uneven a lot of times. Um, can we can we contract the Knicks and, and add an expansion team in New York City with a different owner? <laughs> yeah. Um, so here's my thought, though, ultimately. I think that expansion in the late 80s and mid 90s was very damaging for the league. And certainly there were rule, rule issues as well. But when you look at the quality of play in the late 90s and the early 2000s, I mean, that was very clearly a nadir for the league. Uh, I think, you know, you saw so much stratification during that period as well, especially the late 1990s. So I don't want to, it's unequivocal to me that expansion does reduce the level of play. Let's just take a look now at how many teams just like are bad and just don't even necessarily have anyone that you're really like excited to watch at this point right so definitely you could put charlotte in that category cleveland is probably in that category chicago is like dicey i mean i think they have enough young guys that you probably wouldn't put them in that category i mean golden state (laughs) is in that category right now uh although uh, a lot of that's due to injury if there's not really any other i mean the knicks Maybe you could say R.J. Barrett keeps them out of that category. I don't know that he does to me. The Magic, 
I mean, I guess they're like kind of a 500-ish team, but they don't really have anyone to me that I'm like, oh yeah, I really want to watch this guy. Or, or if I'm a casual fan, certainly. Also worth remembering too, Danny, that we are at probably one of the times in history when talent is best distributed throughout the league that we've ever had after that crazy offseason with so many guys being free agents and changing teams and there's no one dominant team. And there isn't really, uh, I thought there might be, but it doesn't look like there are any teams that are just absolutely absolutely horribly atrocious and the one team that is the warriors is that student injury so we're probably like this isn't the way talent is normally distributed in the nba i think there's usually a few more bad teams so i don't yeah maybe, maybe i'm kind of going back on my thesis here that, that there could be you know maybe one or two more teams because there's really only like a couple of teams where you're just like all right there's just no one on this team that i really want to watch right now well and the other thing to think about though is that some of the losses in terms of talent will be from those mid teams which would then probably drop them either close to that group or, or in there so you yeah. know yeah the pistons getting a little bit shallower the yeah Nets i mean getting the, a little even bit shallower with blake griffin they're uh they're a pretty tough watch at this point right and so I, I think that's the other the other kind of part of this that needs to be thought about is some of the maybe even some of the fringy west teams losing some players and that'll be a, a challenge to think about but still for me i think that it, it would be an acceptable deterioration but it is important to say that it would be a deterioration because that's just the way this works um all right i'll pick one here this is from uh, Yinzer number one at DK B-Ball. Refs are emphasizing moving screens and holding on screens. In pick and rolls where the screener slips, he often gets tangled with the defender. This seems like it either get called on the screener or defender. What do you make of this and how it's being called? I think that after that 17-18 series between the Warriors and Houston, it was an important needed change to crack down on guys slipping because switching just became if you had good switching personnel it was i mean those are two of the best offenses that we've seen and yet it was an incredibly defensive series for a lot of it because they're just holding each other and there's and everything ended up going one-on-one and you have to be able to slip cleanly to the basket on some of those screens to get system buckets when the other team is switching so it is an important point of emphasis now something that since time immemorial has been an issue uh you know so if you're gonna call it when you get tangled with the defender on these screens you know i think the way they're trying to call it is whoever wraps up with their arms a little bit that's generally the defensive player i do think they can crack down a little bit more on moving screens although i do think we're getting pretty close to where we need to be there's been a lot more offensive fouls called early most of those uh, on push-offs but the one that's really hard to referee is if the defender tries to go under the screen at the same time as the guy is trying to roll to the basket and they kind of run into each other or you know the it, it essentially turns into a moving screen as the guy rolls to the basket and the guy tries to go under that's really difficult to referee like is the guy just rolling to the basket is it a moving screen you know that's really tough to call i think and, and there's never really been a great answer for that you know i mean even in pickup games i'd have people always complain that i was moving on screens i'm like no i'm setting the screen and i'm rolling to the basket because in pickup games you always just try to go under the screen right like there's no there's nobody who's a good enough shooter that you really feel like you have to go over it so guys would try to go under and i would roll to the basket and they try to complain that it was a moving screen so it's that one is really tough to call uh, to me i'm not sure that there's really a a great answer uh, for that uh, other than you know if the referee just has to look at it as like hey it's he's really intentionally impeding the guy getting under the screen but you know in the nba you don't go under that much anyway yeah i I like a lot of that it's something that you've thought about and with your experience playing as a big i think you understand that you understand that really well a question i've been thinking about from nate westerman since i saw it who is the worst player in the nba that could start on every team and the every team is what makes this challenging because then the extreme strengths of different of different teams come into play and so generally you're going to want somebody who has a little bit of positional versatility defensively so that if another team has an awesome point guard well then maybe they can play the two or you know it's got to be a wing clearly it it pretty much does uh so i narrowed it down and remember this is gonna be a lot better of a player than people think just because you once you thin it down and i thought of three guys and i kind of wanted your thoughts on it the three that i narrowed it down to were donovan mitchell 
Luca and Al Horford. None, huh. of, none of whom is as like, I mean, Doncic is a wing, but he's kind of a different role. But those are the three guys I thought of. Well, Horford is interesting because he's probably going to be an upgrade for you at either power forward or center. Like there are a few teams that have both a power forward and a center who's better than Al Horford, right? Yeah, that's why I included him. And it was kind of the same idea for Donovan Mitchell, where he can play the one, he can play the two. And there are very few teams that have that are so deep at those two spots where he can't start. Well, so what, who would Danny Green not start for? I guess you would start him at the two on the Clippers and slide Kawhi and, and Paul George up. Yeah, I think so. And at the, for the full-strength Warriors, he'd start at the three or he'd start Clay at the three. I don't know if we're even counting the Warriors for this. Uh, would he? What about Utah? Oh, yeah, he's better than any of their small forwards. Yeah, so you just start him at the three. Well, I mean, so then you're playing, yeah, you're playing Bogdanovich at the four and just, yeah, I guess that I guess that works well enough. Um, Rockets will maybe, start at maybe the three. Maybe Philly? Well, I think it's Ben Phil- Simmons, Josh Richardson, and Tobias Harris? Yeah. I actually, I mean, if it were me, I would probably actually start Danny Green and bring Tobias Harris off the bench <laughs> with that group. I'd just go with uh, the best defensive five in the history but, of the league. Yeah. But that, but that would never happen though. Um, yeah, I think he probably would start for every team, at least, at least for me. Now, of course, we, we're a bigger believers in him than, than some are. Who is the other guy you said? Mitchell? I said Mitchell, Luca, and Horford. Yeah. Luca is an interesting one. He's not that good defensively. I mean, would he, you would saying he would start for the Clippers, full strength Clippers? Team? I think so. I mean, he wouldn't be a great fit, but I'd rather I'd rather start him over their guard options. I mean, defensively, he's going to guard be. point guards. No, you probably start you you put Kawhi at the four. So then I guess you'd play you maybe you'd have Shamit guard once, depending on how you want to structure it with Shamit and, and yeah and Papev. Well, Luca is I mean, Danny Green is is a worse player than Luca. So if we're saying Danny right. Green, he already answers the question. But I just thought Luca was an interesting one in that conversation, just because he's he's such you wouldn't usually think of a player with who relies on the ball in their hands to be this type of a player. But I think that he's in the conversation. All right, let's take the next one here. Have any surprise young role player types stood out to you? Brandon Clark has been very very impressive in memphis so far to me that that's one that just uh, right off the top of my head occurred to me how about you is delon wright young enough still to count as a young role player because I've, I've liked hey, what he's 27 yeah i know but with the way <laughs> um, his career has gone like i just i i've really liked what he's been able to do in dallas and i mean the the concept of like their their lineups and their rotations is pretty interesting i continue to like og and anobi he's had some rough shooting games but just his defense is great and his physical strength and i've i've you know it's not i wouldn't say that he's surprised me or anything but he's continued to impress me i've liked i mean staying in memphis i've liked dylan brooks's defense is just mm-hmm. he's so he's so wax and wane uh, on the shots i mean he's scoring 30 points one night and like six the next um i've liked cody martin's energy defensively that's been that's uh, yeah that's been something i've liked alex caruso has got to be on that list to me i mean i think i think they their season really took off when he started playing a little bit more i'm interested to see where he fits in now with rondo being back kendrick nunn's only 24 um i i I think and i think his is he a role player though i mean he's (sighs) he's got a pretty like 25 percent usage yeah but that a lot of that was without jimmy i want to see where where his spot is but if he ends up being best off the bench then i think even if he's a high usage guy if he ends up in that role that's still a role player um yeah i wouldn't say eric pascal has been playing like a role player no but he's been good but but i think he profiles well in that spot eventually yeah that'll be really interesting to see uh when when they get everyone back uh, how that's gonna look um they've been playing him at the three lately just because they have nobody else and that's actually stabilized their defense slightly um to play him and draymond green together but i'm not sure he's a good enough shooter at the three ultimately but maybe maybe he could be when you if you're got yeah i mean i guess to just he probably would have to come off the bench maybe he plays the four and draymond plays the five with clay russell and and curry if they keep all those guys uh do we want to talk about marco fultz i want to talk about him a lot more tomorrow um yeah but- yeah i think I, I i don't know if he's a role player either but uh oh, pj washington oh yeah i like i like pj a lot yeah still still want to keep an eye on javante green in boston that that could be an interesting one too okay um actually jabari parker playing a role more in atlanta where he's actually rolling to the basket more they haven't put the ball in his hands really at all to initiate the play but he's just been uh, an excellent finisher at the rim he's up at the top of the league and dunks getting passes from trey young i didn't expect him to be a role player but he has fit in there pretty well so that that's a a signing i didn't like that especially in the absence of john collins uh, has worked pretty well he's he's fit into that role um all right where do you want to go here question from 
Jasper Stringer, who are the most likely new all-stars? And some of some of the challenges here is you could think of somebody like Rudy Gobert. I mean, Gobert to me should be, but he also should have been last year. So that's yeah. an interesting part of the conversation. I, I think he's up there. Pascal Siakam, just the, the, the role that he has taken on. And also being in the Eastern Conference is particularly useful. We've had a, had a little bit of an exodus there. That could be open up. Luca, I think I think this is the year. I haven't really squared up my rosters, but it would be surprising. Trey, Trey Young in the East. I mean, that's if he keeps playing like this, he oh, has yeah. to make it. Trey Young has to be in. I think they're going to actually be a bunch in the East just because the, you know, the, the exodus of guys like Kawhi and obviously LeBron was two years ago, but LeBron. And so there, there are just more slots open there than in the West, which is just kind of overstuffed on the guard line. And then the perimeter spots, I think, are going to be lined up pretty quickly. Yeah, so Doncic, Young, and Siakam are the three that really come to mind for me. Anybody else that stands out to you? Gobert. Yeah. Because he somehow still hasn't made it. And, I mean, he's he's having what another— What about Donovan Mitchell? Yeah. I, I could I see mean, we, we have to really go through in the West. There's also injuries, right? Like Steph Curry could still get voted in and then just, you know, won't be healthy by then, most likely. Yeah. So the, it'd be, it'd be funny if he played spot. in the Oscar game and then didn't play for another like month. <laughs> um, yeah, it did come out that he has to have a second procedure on that hand. Yeah, That's to get, to get them so some long. screws out. Yeah. Uh, quick read here to tell you about my favorite mattress on earth that I cannot wait to sleep in tonight, especially because I'm absolutely exhausted. The flight back from Japan was not kind of me in terms of sleep. The nation of Japan was kinder, but as nice uh, as those mattresses may be, they are not made for me. And my Helix Sleep mattress, in fact, is because I took their sleep quiz. It takes two minutes to complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Whether you're a side sleeper, hot sleeper, you like a plush bed, a firm bed. With Helix, there's no more confusion. You don't have to compromise. They were even just recently awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by gq and wired magazine i just want to know what took gq and wired magazine so long because uh you know i've known about them since 2015 when i actually tried another mattress delivery company that was one size fits all that i didn't like had to return it and then my wife found helix sleep i loved the concept we got it they have a hundred day risk-free trial period so we felt perfectly safe giving it a shot and it turned out to be absolutely perfect for us so much so that i dm'd their company twitter account and said hey i would love to be a spokesman for your product and uh, they've been on the show coming up uh, on four years here ever since they also have a 10-year warranty and they will pick it up for you if you don't love it right now you can go to helixsleep.com slash cap space helix like dna double helix helix sleep.com slash cap space they are offering up to 125 dollars off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash cap space get up to 125 dollars off at helixsleep.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url let them know that you came from us all right this is a good one from miles at formerly miles but his name is still on in what circumstances should a team fire a coach mid-season it's a challenge because realistically you're not going to get the perfect the perfect person off of the you know let's call it the coaching free agent market you know like the, that's not really the way that it works the best coaching free agents are going to want to see the full available suite and some of the best coaching free agents are still coaching other teams so you know if they're if you know not if Warren Lugari has anything to say about it because then they'll be on an extension before their final year but in most circumstances that will be the case and I would say the biggest reason that you would do it is kind of a toxicity thing where it's just untenable you know that coach is not going to be doing your team any longer after that season and the players hate them or whatever and so you get into that circumstance and then the other one i'm going to use ryan saunders as the example here you could go with a couple other other ones too which is you know that your head coach is not going to be coaching that team after the year and there is somebody on their staff that you would consider for the job but you want to see how it would work out before you commit and I mean, there are, there are questions about whether, you know, that the, the honeymoon period and a lot of that stuff it produces a, a sample that actually is, is useful. But in that sort of a circumstance where you'd rather not give that person the full job without seeing it a little bit, I can see some merit as well, because then you could get a, let's call it a 30 to 40 game sample for them, as opposed to a full year, which might be too much. And then you lose out on everything else. Yeah. Did you mention the idea that there's a coach out there already who you want to hire from outside the organization? Yeah, I kind of 
talked about that about how coaching free agents are worse. But yeah, you could you yeah. could bring the counter example, which is that even though they're worse, there is the right person. Yeah, and that's not something that we've seen for a while. But like Scott Skiles and George Carl both got hired in those circumstances about 15 years ago, and actually it did pretty good jobs. Uh, you can definitely get a head start if there is a coaching free agent out there uh, versus waiting uh, until the end. But yeah, I, I think you covered uh, most of the situations there. And I mean, the other one one is just the you know the Jason Kidd Joe Prunty situation where the guy is just either like endangering the health of your players or just is doing such a bad job, and you actually need to try anything that you can to shake things up if you're really disappointing that season to try to get back get into the playoffs if things are going poorly um all right this is fun mike on mike the latter mike spelled m-i-c that's solid uh at mhh harris please name three under 500 teams that you expect to make the playoffs this year well you're gonna be relying pretty heavily on the eastern conference considering <laughs> the eastern conference right now has a whopping six teams that are over 500 all of whom i expect to make the playoffs i mean as long as the pacers can stay healthy all the other ones are are doing really well to me the number one of that group is is orlando i think they're the best of those teams yep. they had I a agree with you they had a win today the wizards got it a little bit close at the end because bradley beal went completely insane but i i think that the magic have the depth and their defense is very good so that's going to help them if i were to pick the next most likely east playoff team sorry hornets over baby i i think that it's going to be brooklyn i you know i just think that their town's going to be there but there's also a really good argument for detroit just because the representativeness of the sample is a really easy argument for them that they'll have blake griffin for more of the season than they have so far so that's really useful but yeah so if i were to pick the most confident i would actually be those three before any team in the western conference but my team in the west portland yeah i think it would probably be portland just on the idea that their defense can be get get more than a dead cat bounce but it could get better especially if and when nurkic gets back but also because their offense can improve and if they can be a top 10 offense with even a mediocre defense they could be good enough to make the playoffs in the west yeah and they only have a, a negative 0.9 point differential right now so that that helps a little bit uh and they, they've gotten a little bit unlucky they should have about a win more based on that um you mentioned charlotte negative 5.8 even though they're six and seven so that that's not too good and would you say you like so detroit and chicago are both four and nine you like detroit better yeah i do i think the theory of that team is stronger and chicago has some nice long-term pieces but they were you know we'll see what the what the marketing injury whether that was really plaguing him in the last couple weeks before whether that's going to be a, a bigger thing but yeah i like i like detroit better yeah and he said uh, three under 500 teams you expect to make the playoffs this season other than orlando and brooklyn i wouldn't say i expect anyone also the pacers could be primed for a big regression they've had an extremely easy schedule yeah so far and they've got some injury issues i know Il oladipo is coming back he's he's been getting some practices in with the mad ant so so that could help i mean they'll, they're probably gonna make it i think just to oh wait, can i make it can i make a small note on that uh I, yeah. I deliberately did not include that in the news when it was gone because there was this uh a point that scott agnes made which i thought was really important that because people got excited when when the reporting came out that he was going to practice with mad ants but really what that was about was a was that the pacers were out of town and that they they did that so that he could actually like be on the court because it was just kind of a yeah. they're in town so don't we'll we'll see when we get an actual timeline but i i just want to caution people don't get overly excited because of that because when I read through the reporting on it, it was more of a kind of a clerical thing rather than a statement of progress. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he is getting some some full court work in, but I expect him to be extremely conservative with him, especially because uh, eh, they probably mismanaged it <laughs> when he got hurt initially. So, yeah. So I, I wouldn't expect well, three under well, five. So, here, so here's my playoffs. question. Even if let's yeah. take out the expectation wording, I think we both have Orlando and Brooklyn one and two respectively. Where would you go for, let's say, the Pistons versus Blazers? Or however you want to see that, like the next East team versus the next West team. Mm, yeah, we'll re recreate the 1990 NBA Finals, baby. Yeah. Uh, let me look at the standings real quick. Yeah, I mean, the Blazers, I think the Blazers still have like as good a chance of anyone of getting that eighth seat almost. I mean, you, you like their competition, If you even if you want to say the Suns and Mavs are in, Wolves, Thunder, 
Pels, Spurs. By the way, 538 now projects the Spurs to be 28 and 54, last in the West. I don't quite buy that. But I mean, yeah, they've had a tough start, but nobody's running away and hiding for that eighth seed. You know, even the Suns uh, are, even if you want to say that they're in and the Mavs are in, that's still only seven teams with Nuggets, Lakers, Jazz, Rockets, Clippers. So yeah, I probably would put the Blazers over the Pistons at this point. Although, I mean, there's also nobody coming up behind the Pistons. Like, like the Hawks like if it's really such a missed opportunity for the hawks like they're if they had like any kind of a real bench and they weren't gifting cam reddish 20 minutes a game as maybe the worst rotation player in the nba they could very easily make the playoffs this year but how it, dare it you dis- disrespect jordan pool like that <laughs> yeah. yeah hilariously pool actually has like much better on off numbers than like draymond and d'angelo russell uh i i i would uh consider that an aberration okay what do we got next here? uh from ben chang given anthony davis's insane ability to hedge and recover to basically goalie what is the best counter to that and there are a couple different things one that i like doing is just forcing him to play out the string longer so push it you know like the ball handling guard pushing further away and so that means some of the advantage that you can create there depending on how quickly you can move the ball around is creating an advantage with the other guy before davis can recover or you know you just just kind of change the geometry of the floor a little bit i think that's something that you can do and it's an interesting part of it is that when they play davis with another big it's not even the idea which teams used to do against the rockets where or the Warriors with Draymond sometimes when they went small, is that if you can pull a team's only rim protector away from the basket, if Davis is in the action and they have another rim protector on the floor, you get less utility that way. Yeah, I think obviously having really good shooting at that position and then someone who can also put the ball on the floor when Davis uh, closes out. Uh, And then just uh, someone who is gonna be able to bludgeon him in the post a little bit i mean he still is not he's done great work to get stronger through his scrimmage. you remember how skinny he was first coming into the league i never thought he could get even as strong as he is now but compared to a lot of centers if he's playing center to really just you know bludgeon him in the post with your Jonas Valanciunas get on the offensive glass that's really your only option but no I mean he's having a defensive player of the year type of season so far here a question from Big Mac V2 in terms of analytics which team's record is a lot lower than it probably should be this is actually a question that can be answered uh, using publicly available tools cleaning the glass has a good one so basically they take a team's point differential filtering out garbage time and then extrapolate that out into a win total currently using their version of the stat the chicago bulls have the largest difference they are have the win projection of a basically a four of a five and a half win team and they have four wins so that's that's a Uh, 1.6 although what i would caution there is they've had a pretty easy schedule right uh so i mean detroit lost a couple games that i thought they could slash should have won and they'll also be better moving forward so they're the first one that came to mind i mean portland had a new orleans what about new orleans yeah with with, what do you consider the bad luck and the injuries sure no but what i'm talking about is more like in the games that already happened like they had more games they should have won but yeah new orleans i mean they'll be better than they've been i mean if that's the question then then they're a clear answer there detroit is a clear answer there and I would say those are probably the top two in my head of that sort of an idea. Yeah, Sacramento is an interesting oh, yeah, them because too, they, yeah. had, they had that terrible start to the year. And now Bagley and Fox are injured. But they've had a couple of nice wins, including today over the Celtics by one. I, I think their defense can at least be pretty decent. Uh, so I, I think they, they've also benefited from clarifying the rotation roles a little bit more. Like Trevor Ariza, for example, is probably going to be more on, on the fringes of the rotation going forward here. Uh, you know, they had a really competitive loss against the Lakers, too. So they're, they're uh, I mean, at five and seven, it's, that's why that Fox injury is such a bummer. I was really hoping to see maybe they could get back on track um and and i mean at five and seven we said you know nobody in the west is running away and hiding for that eight seed they might have been able to really get back into it but i mean there's that fox grade three ankle sprain is just such a crusher i wanted to do this one from uh at underscore maybe a couple underscores racy what do you think about an nba loan system similar to european football i i they, and they talked about draymond as being draymond defeat portland as being an example there and for those who don't know the idea behind a loan system is effectively that a player's contract is still held by one team 
but he is playing temporarily and they can set the determination. It could be, you know, short term. It could be a year. I don't think they generally go beyond a year and for a different team, but his rights are still held. And so I, I think that there is an intellectual intrigue to it just because of the idea of like a player Draymond is a good example of this who's in a lost situation could be providing more utility. So from that sort of utilitarian standpoint, it could be there. The big, big massive problem and why I'm deeply against it in the NBA is because of the perverse incentives that come into play. Because teams then like for coaching staffs get into these circumstances of, hey, why don't I push this guy really, really hard? And they're not as incentivized. And remember that, yeah, you could say that it's it's a big ecosystem and teams don't want to burn bridges. But I think that's a big problem. And also you could think about it that a player taking it easier wouldn't have the same consequences because that team can't really do much to them. They can't trade them or anything else. So I think that it makes sense in the European system also because of the way that players sign with teams, because you can have like a 16, 17 year old who's in your organization, but has no playing time. And those individuals are not in the NBA. So it doesn't have the same circumstance. So there are times when I think it would be beneficial. But for me, overall, the negatives outweigh the positives, at least as the NBA is currently constructed. I think I'd be okay with it if it were limited to the situations like in European soccer. Now, it happens there because the rich clubs have more talent than they know what to do with and more money than they know what to do with. And so they have guys who are on their team and are being hoarded that they want they want to get development time. So it helps them. You loan them out to these teams that still aren't going to be a threat to your team necessarily. And that, and also that you're pro- you probably are not going to be playing, right? There's so many other of these, so many clubs that it, it's easy to send them somewhere where you don't play that team, uh, which is not necessarily a possibility in the NBA. You know, yeah. So if it's someone like Draymond where it's just a good player whose team just happens to be out of it that year and you want to loan him to a team for the playoffs, I think that would really just dilute the whole playoff system, dilute what it means to build a championship team. You just to have someone on your team. The only way I might be in favor of it is you know if you just have someone on your team who's a, a good rookie who just can't play who might be able to help another team that you want to send out but even then those teams wouldn't want to give up those development slots for to help develop a player for another team right like it would have to be a very specific circumstance of a team that was just so bereft of talent or maybe for ticket yeah. sales or something like that but that right, yeah right. That... because i mean there's there's a 20 there's rosters of 20 and there's 11 players on on the field at once in european soccer and also like they're just trying to like make enough money to keep the lights on sometimes by winning a few games and avoiding getting relegated or whatever you know it, here it doesn't make sense for you know a guy who's the number 25 pick for houston to just go play for charlotte or something and uh, and, so and if they wanted to have that guy play in europe they can already do that like that's you know there, yeah. there are ways of making that happen one i well, will throw out intellectually yeah. it's never ever ever going to happen that would be fun is certain loan offers or loan agreements have basically you could call it an option to buy and so basically it's a pre oftentimes it's a pre-negotiated fee and in the nba that would be so much fun if it ever existed of the idea that like hey if you take this guy for a year or two years or whatever it would be then you could pay or whatever because the european system is so different because of player compensation and team compensation all that stuff but like you can imagine some really interesting circumstances there of like the guy blows up and then all of a sudden that team gets a player for money that would be that could be allocated it would be fun it's never going to happen because the salary cap structure is so different but i i when the question was asked i started thinking about how that would work and it'd be fun uh, if you were Gerald Moore and you wanted to get away from Tillman Fertitta, what would your realistic, ideal new team be? I don't know. Sh- Shanghai Sharks? Do they have an opening? Um, Not right now. Uh, Let's see here. My ideal new team. Well, if I could have full power, it'd be the Knicks. Um, Philly might be another one. Well, see, the problem with Philly, though, is that they're so locked in right now. I think you, for me, at least, I would want to go to a team that has that you can cultivate a little bit more. But I'd still have the Lakers really high, so what am I saying? Yeah, that that would be another one. Um, I mean, OKC. I'm sure he would love to be there, right? I mean, not not that Sam Presti is is on the hot seat at all. Um, realistic. Yeah, I mean, maybe it would be the Knicks. I mean, he's it it could is Dolan worse than Fertitta? That's that's uh, yeah, he probably is. Um, if only because he's just had like absolute power for so long and mismanaged it for so long and is so set in his ways. Um, all right, last one here. We'll, we'll do some more of these. Probably these are uh, some great great questions this week. 
uh mc lopez sepero at mc lopesup what cognitive biases are you wary of potentially compromising your own analysis how do you guard against this well certainly it's the biggest question that i struggle with is when to stick to my guns and when to update your opinion right and there's you know andrew wiggins we've largely been right about but oh no he's having a good couple of weeks you know should we be updating our opinion uh, on him you know devin booker is having a great start to the season looking like he probably has been ranked too low over the years and now that he has a competent team around him he's showing how good he can be you know maybe we were foolish by sticking to where we ranked him although worth noting too that when we did our rankings last year of shooting guard and prospects that's before he really took off last year he was injured a lot at the start of the year so he probably would have been higher by the end of the last year uh, in some of those um so yeah i mean that's that's a lot or you know say a dennis smith right who we both ranked highly me probably more so than you like continuing to see the good name and that's the same uh i would say we struggle with that less than actual nba decision makers do because it's not our jobs on the line like looking right i mean i I assume you guys listen to this podcast because you think we're right about a lot of stuff but we don't have any direct costs of admitting that we're wrong whereas you know it looks really bad for an executive you might end up getting fired if you you get enough of those things wrong and so if you can spin it to the positive and a lot of that's by just keeping the guy on the team when maybe you shouldn't with terms of exercising options and that sort of stuff but yeah i mean i think it's just how much to weight our initial evaluations and how much to update those based on what's happening because you can be either too aggressive with those or not aggressive enough and so it's a constant struggle of like all right like how much do i update my priors here that that's the biggest one that i struggle with by far the other one that's a challenge for me and was my first thought here is I'll describe it as sample bias. And what I'll use an example, which is I went to Celtics Warriors on Friday night and Boston's offense. I'm going to talk about this a little bit in the 15 and 60. Their offense looked terrible, not in terms of the results, though the results weren't great. They barely won that game and all that, but the process, they just had too many awful possessions, no pass dribbles into a, sh- a, a, a shitty shot against the team that can't defend anyway. And you all, I, I always have to gird myself against the idea that I'm seeing a team on a bad night or a good night or a player on a bad night or a good night. And that's why you rely on larger sample sets and everything. And sometimes those, ga- those moments or those games can be the impetus for research and for trying to get into it. But that's something I have to, I have to really remember, especially like this happens in summer league. Like you just happen to see a guy and he just has a, a bad game. I mean, I saw Tyler Hero twice in summer league. He looked bad to me both times and I hadn't really seen much of him before. So, you know, you're not like something that you and I both try to caution ourselves on is that especially on like summer league guys, these are preliminary tentative opinions, not definitive pronouncements of where their game is going. But those sorts of things of trusting what you see and really working more on the fundamentals than on the whether the shot goes in or not type of stuff. But still understanding that there's a lot more to it and that even as much as we watch the league, there are still issues that you can only see so much. And so that's why you try to look at the collective, look at the aggregate and everything else. But I I struggle with that sometimes of I see a guy a couple of times and they just suck. And then maybe they put up some other games. I mean, this happened to me like there was this running joke that I never saw Brandon Ingram play a good game in person or on TV for a couple of years. But again, it's that that sort of thing too and but you also don't want to rely heavily on the numbers because then sometimes those you know fool's gold type of players can trick you like you can get you have to kind of balance everything because you can get tricked both ways yeah that's a good way to put it another one briefly for me is just there's i just really enjoy guys a a very high skill level and so i can tend to be seduced by that a little bit especially as prospects where you see these flashes and you're just like oh my god now with trey young and john morant i think those flashes are are proving indicative you know with someone like dennis smith for example maybe it wasn't uh but you think of like oh man i see these flashes that's this guy's ceiling um and and then certainly you know plotting big men guys who just generally like aren't that exciting to watch uh that's always gonna infect you a little bit here um all right, anything else to discuss here uh, before we go? Well, I'll just mention if people haven't listened to it yet, you talked about Devin Booker. That's something Matt Moore and I discussed on the most recent Real Jam Radio. We did the NBA tiers and got into a discussion about how you how you kind of talk about and evaluate players like Devin Booker. And, and, you know, we talked about the difference between what a player is versus where they're going and all that kind of stuff. So I thought if, you're, if people are interested in that Devin Booker stuff, we talked about it for like five, 10 minutes, I think. All right, and please check out 
one of our supporters for today's program, the Ledlow and Parker podcast. In a league that moves at the speed of social media and helps define this current sports culture, only two voices can keep up. I definitely can't keep up at the speed of social media, and I'm definitely not helping define the current sports culture. But Ledlow and Parker are in their all-new weekly podcast that cover the hottest, hottest storylines in Iran, the NBA, break down hoops' impact on the sports landscape, and talk to some of the biggest names in and around the NBA, as well as some of the most interesting voices impacting the sports and entertainment world. Today, they can get a lot cooler guests uh, than I can. Listen and subscribe to Ledlow and Parker wherever you get podcasts. 